Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If you're streaming live today, thanks for being with us from wherever you are. Danielle and I took our son on a college visit last week and got a chance to watch church live while we were driving across the state of Missouri on I-70. So you might be in a car or sitting on a beach or at a football field or just homesick. Thanks for being with us from wherever you are. If you have a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. Everything that uh, I say will be on the screen from the scriptures so you can follow along. If you have a smartphone, you can fire up your Journey Church International app. A lot of our people follow along on their phones so they can save their notes and take them to work with them on Monday and talk to people about what they've learned. You may do it that way. That's great. We're in a series called The Parables of Jesus. We're in week five following Jesus around the hills of Galilee, following Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem. We're listening to Jesus teach and we're learning. He teaches by telling stories. Those stories in the Bible are called parables. Just to catch you up, if you're brand new to this series, say, what is a parable? A parable is a Greek word that comes from two Greek words, parabalo, that means to throw or to lay or to place alongside for the purpose of comparison. A parable is a story that's laid laid aside some spiritual truth that's hard to understand so that if you can understand the, the simpler story, you can understand the deep spiritual truth. Jesus taught in parables because he said it was his goal for those who were seeking spiritual truth to come to him after the parables and say, tell me more. That's what we're doing all summer long. We're studying the parables and we're asking Jesus to tell us more. Last week we were in the parables of the 10 virgins. Pastor Mike was teaching us how to be ready for Jesus. His message was incredible last week. I don't know that I'll ever forget the line, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. I mean, just incredibly simple truth about make sure you get in the word every day. And his quote by Penn Teller at the end of his message saying, you would have to hate somebody to know about Jesus and what he wants to do for someone. You'd have to hate them to not tell them that. What a powerful message on the parable of the 10 virgins. That was last week. Today, we're in the parable of the rich fool, which means we're going to talk about money today. Take a deep breath, turn to someone next to you and say, oh no, he's going to preach about money. Just say it. Say it out loud. It's okay. It'll make me feel better to just have you say it out loud. I know you're thinking, oh no, he's going to teach about money. Now turn to the person who just said that to you and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If you're like a first-time guest, forgive us. Uh, we, we don't often talk about money, but when Jesus does, we do. And this summer, we're talking about what Jesus talks about. So today, we're going to talk about the parable of the rich fool. And it is my prayer that not me, but Jesus will speak to your heart. We rarely open the scriptures at our church without pausing to pray, that ask with, that, to ask God that he would speak from the scripture to our hearts. So would you do that with me? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you take a deep breath right where you are? And would you ask God for the next 25 minutes just to speak to your hearts? Just from your heart to heaven, not out loud, pray something like this. God, speak to me today. Ask God to show you how to be rich towards him and why that's valuable for you spiritually. God, we know that every time the people of God study the word of God. The spirit of God has the ability to make it come alive in our lives. So that's what we pray today. Plant seeds from your word into our hearts that grow into spiritual fruit as we study this parable of the rich fool. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Today's parable is actually a response to a question. Here's the question, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. We'll read through verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Two goals from today's parable that I hope you're able to take with you as you leave church today. Number one, my hope is you will see yourself where you are currently in your spiritual generosity. Before the end of this message, we'll give you a scale to kind of learn how you take a spiritual journey into generosity. My hope is that when you walk out of here, you'll say, that's where I currently am in being rich towards God. This is my spot on that journey. And then number two, to take a step forward. Those are my two goals, that you will find out where you are in this journey of generosity and that you will pray about or at least know the next step that you need to take. Those are the two goals. But then there's this bonus goal today too because so many of you, this is already in your DNA. It's already in your life. It's already in your bank account. It's already in your journey. My bonus goal is this, that those of you who are already doing everything we're gonna talk about today would hear well done from Jesus, not just at the end of your life, but at the end of this message. You know, my goal every Sunday is not to make you walk out of here feeling good about yourself, but to feel good about Jesus and to know the steps you need to take to become more like him. My my hope is that you don't every Sunday walk out of here patting yourself on the back and say, man, I've got a lot to feel good about. But today that is my goal. Because for those of you who are living generously like Jesus has asked us to, my goal is that you will be able to walk out today with your chest puffed out a little bit thinking, hey, at least I got one thing going on for me spiritually that Jesus has asked me to do. I'm doing this one perfect. So that's actually kind of a a bonus goal today that if you are on this generosity journey and you're where Jesus has asked you to be, that you would think, hey, I'm I'm doing okay in this area. How are we going to see these two goals in this bonus goal? We're going to look a little deeper into the parable. And we're going to ask the two questions that we ask every week. What's this parable and what's the point? What's the parable? What's the story? What are we supposed to learn? And from that learning, what are we supposed to do? What is the parable? What is the point? Question number one, let's ask the question, what is this parable? What is this comparison of two things? Today's parable lays two things side by side and it compares them to each other. And here they are, letter A, Jesus lays how we view and spend earthly money Beside letter B, what that says about our hearts spiritually. Jesus said, it's hard sometimes to know your heart spiritually. So let me tell you a story that if you understand the story, you'll understand your heart. So Jesus is going to lay today how we view and spend our earthly money beside our heart and say, how you do this tells you something about your heart. And here's the big question that will lead into this message today. I I call it a key question. Jesus wants to know, not me, but Jesus Are we more concerned with now or eternity financially? That's the key question. Like when you think about money, even as in in the seven minutes that you've processed that we're talking about money today, are you you glad for what you're going to learn about eternity or are you nervous for what you're going to learn about now? When you think about money, do you think about now or eternity? Because Luke 
sets up this parable in his book with the teaching of Jesus directly preceding this parable. And here's the teaching of Jesus. Make every decision in light of eternity, especially the ones that scare you. This is right before Jesus talks about money. He says, you need to understand, I want you to make every decision in your life based on eternity, not now, especially the ones that scare you a little bit. Make those decisions based on eternity, not now. So with that backdrop, this parable is going to come in and it's going to compare how we view and spend earthly money. Is it all about now or eternity? And what that says about our hearts. We're going to see four parallels in this parable as these stories are laid together to learn about our heart. Number one, we're going to see this. We have to understand that what we've been given comes with a surplus. We're going to look at this story. We're going to hear what Jesus teaches about giving. And he starts his teaching on giving with receiving. And he said, you can never really give properly until you understand how you receive. And you have to understand that what you've been given comes with a surplus. The farmer in this story had an abundant harvest more than he had ever had. He had a surplus. And Jesus says, so do you. Say, Christian, not me. You're like, you're talking to the wrong guy. If you saw my bank and my bills, I, I don't have surplus. How do you get there spiritually? How can you believe that what I've been given comes with a surplus? Let me give you three spiritual truths that lead me to believe that I have surplus and that you have surplus. Letter A, God promises to meet all your needs. God promises to meet all of your needs. In Philippians 4.19, the apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi, while he's sitting in jail, by the way, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God knows your needs. God will meet all of your needs. Letter B, Jesus tells us to give a tithe. That's a tenth. You might write down 10% on your sermon notes of all of our income. God will meet all your needs, but Jesus says, from what you have, give a tenth. In Luke 11, 42, let me me say this real clearly. Jesus, a lot of people say Old Testament. That's tithing. That's Old Testament. No, Jesus and Luke 11 talks about tithing. Luke eleven forty two. he's talking to the Pharisees. Listen to what he says to them. He said, you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all your other kinds of garden herbs. The Pharisees were so legalistic in following the law, they tithed off their garden spices. If their wives would go to the market and bring back some spices for their cabinet, they would measure it out and they would take a tenth of that and give it back to the temple. They tithed on everything, not just money, everything. If they bought 10 pair of socks, they'd probably give one of them to the temple. They tithed on everything. Jesus said, you tithe on everything, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You don't treat people well. You don't love people well. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You should treat people well, but you also should tithe. God says he'll meet all our needs. Jesus says that we should give 10% of what we have back to him. And letter C tells us that doing what Jesus commands shouldn't burden us. It's not only not impossible, it's very possible. It shouldn't even be a burden to do what Jesus asked us to do. In 1 John 5, 3, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, said, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. What Jesus asked us to do when we're following him, we're capable of doing. So I'm trying to help you understand through this parable, what you've been given comes with a surplus, you say, how do you get here? Look at these three things again. If we line these three points up, how do you, Christian, how do you believe that I have a surplus? Because the Bible says God's going to meet all your needs. Jesus is going to ask you to give 10% of what you have and doing what Jesus commands shouldn't burden us, which means one of my favorite things that I've ever created at our church is my $90 bill. 
You say, I've never seen a $90 bill. When you understand this parable, you will always see $90 bills because God promises to meet all your needs. If God knows you need $90, God's going to meet your needs. But Jesus commands you to give 10% and what he commands you shouldn't be a burden, which means if God knows you need $90, how much is he going to give you? He's going to give you a hundred. All right. That is the principle of tithing. God, God is going to meet all my needs. So if God knows I need 90, he's going to give me a hundred. God knows my needs. So if God knows I need 90, he's not going to ask me to give him what I can't afford to give him. And Jesus says, I'm supposed to give him 10%. So if I need 90, God's going to give me a hundred because the commands that Jesus asked me to do, they're, they're actually not going to take skin off my back. They're not going to be burdensome for me. So if we look at this letter D, here's what we're going to learn. God must give a 10% surplus anytime he gives something to us, or he couldn't ask for something back that would be a burden to give. Jesus teaches this parable and he says, you like this farmer have to understand what you've been given comes with a surplus. But number two, you got to watch out because you have to understand your perspective can be tainted by greed. You have to understand your perspective can be tainted by greed. When you hear clear biblical truth and think, no, I don't agree. That might be greed speaking to you. Let me back up for a minute and ask a different question on a different topic. Um, yes or no? Is hypocrisy a bad thing for the church? Yes or no? Yes or no? Like we would all agree, right? Hypocrisy, no good spiritually. Hypocrisy doesn't do anything good for you, doesn't do anything good for me. It certainly doesn't do anything good for the world. And Jesus addresses hypocrisy in Luke chapter 12. I want you to see what Jesus uses. I want you to see the language of hypocrisy. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus, when Jesus says, be on your guard, he's getting ready to talk to us about things that are really dangerous spiritually. This thought, be on your guard, is an important warning in the teaching ministry of Jesus. Things like hypocrisy, got to watch out. Those are really bad. You don't want those. Be on your guard against those. So look at Luke 12, 15, when he begins to talk about money. Look at the phrase that he uses. Watch out. Be on your guard. Ooh, that, this means he's getting ready to say something that's really important for us in our church. Be on your guard against greed. Don't think life is about what you have. Watch out, be on your own. It could be really bad for you and for me and for the church and for our community. Why is this so important spiritually? Because we look at this farmer number three and we learn through this parable, greed can turn us into selfish receivers and stingy givers. Greed can turn us into really selfish receivers. Our perspective is tainted and stingy givers. Our future is something maybe that we fear. So in Luke chapter 12, this guy has a crop that is abundant, like super abundant. So he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Now listen to the attitude of this farmer. I've got more than I could possibly use today. I've got more than I could possibly use over the next year. I've got more than I could ever personally need. So what should I do with the rest? Hang on to it just in case. That's his farmer. I've got more than I need today. I couldn't, I couldn't use everything I had. To, I've actually got more than I need next year. So what should I do with everything extra? I should hang on to it 
just in case. See, a selfish receiver thinks, I always need a little bit more. When will you begin your generosity journey? When I talk to people who love Jesus and who are following Jesus but haven't started their generosity journey yet, this is where they start. When are you going to start your generosity journey? When I have a little bit more. Selfish receivers always think, I need a little bit more. And stingy givers think, I can't afford to give anything that I might need in the future. You know, most people don't give because they need what they have for that day. Most people don't give because they're worried about tomorrow or next year or the next layoff or the next round of cuts or the next, you know, raise in taxes in the city that they live in. Most people don't give based on today. They don't give just in case. What they're saying, God isn't there in the future to provide. Stingy givers think, I can't afford to give anything that I might need tomorrow or next year. And Jesus says, you don't want to be this way, number four, because living for ourselves leaves us with nothing when we die. But giving to God and others leaves a part of us living after we die. In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, look what God says to this man when he says, I'm going to keep it all for myself. God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? You're not going to get it and nobody else is either. This is how it'll be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus is teaching us we ultimately lose everything that we keep without leaving a legacy for others when we aren't rich towards God and the work that he is doing. Proverbs 119 is even a little stronger with this. It says people who pursue greed waste their lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It just takes away the life. It takes away the legacy. It takes away what God is trying to do through you for others if you hang on to all of it yourself. It's a great parable. Some good truth in this parable. What can we learn from this rich fool and what it might say about our hearts and how we view and spend money for things? We have to understand what we've been given comes with a surplus. $90 bills. God knows our needs. He meets our needs. And on top of that, he asks for 10%, which means he must give us 10% more than we need. God knows our needs. Jesus asks us to give 10%. What Jesus asks is not hard, which means God must fund the surplus. Number two, we have to understand our perspective can be tainted by greed. Anytime we look at clear biblical truth and think, uh-uh, not me. That's greed speaking in the area of finances and greed can turn us into selfish receivers. I need just a little bit more and stingy givers I would give, but I may need that down the road. Number four, living for ourselves then leaves us with nothing when we die. We don't get it, nor does anyone else but giving to God and others while we are alive leaves a part of us living after we die as a legacy. Great truth, great lesson. Thank you, Jesus, for the picture. It helps me understand, but what do I do? Great truth, what do we do with it? Good lessons, how does it impact our life? What is the parable? What is the point of the parable? That's where we wanna get now. What is the point of this parable? Danielle and I, in 10 days, will celebrate our 20-year anniversary uh, we got married really young in 1999. I was 21. She was 19 and we got married. And I mean, we're just full blast into married life. We were still in college in our first five years of marriage. I played a year of college football. Then I graduated. Then I did seminary. She graduated from school. We started in youth ministry. She, um, she had two kids. I mean, we, like, we were full blast and we looked up at our five-year anniversary and we're like, we have not been alone on a trip since our honeymoon. 
been five years. We've been to our mom and dad's house. We've hung out with friends. The two of us have not been alone on a trip since we were in Jamaica at Sandals, um, eating way too much all-inclusive food at the resorts that some of you have been to as well. It's like, we get, we got to take a trip. So on our five-year anniversary, we take a trip out to San Diego for three or four days to have a good time there. We get to San Diego. At this point in our life, we were in our young 20s. We really didn't manage our finances well. We tithe. That was always something that our parents and grandparents had instilled in us. But as far as budgeting and debt and everything else, we, we weren't there yet. We had one credit card in American Express that had a $3,000 limit on it. And we landed in San Diego and it's like no kids, no work. What are we doing? We're like, let's go shopping. So we drove an hour from our hotel in San Diego to these outlet malls. We spent nearly $1,000 buying a bunch of stuff that we probably didn't need. Got back to the hotel with all these bags of stuff, unpacked it all, had fashion shows for each other, went to dinner that night at the hotel. I know we're not the only ones who do that. If we are, I apologize. She makes me. Um, Go to dinner at the hotel restaurant that night, get this wonderful dinner, throw down my American Express that I don't keep track of. And the waiter comes back and says, sir, your card has been declined. It's like, oh no. It's like, well, can we put it on our room? I'm sure you can put it on a room. I go back to my room, call American Express. And it's like, sir, your card is maxed. The card that was holding the hotel room. I had just paid for dinner with money that I didn't even have. And I asked Daniel, I was like, what, what are we going to do? So we drove an hour back to the outlet malls the next day. I went to every store she had bought from. She went to every store I had bought from. We returned everything and had just enough money to eat for the rest of the week and then came home and said, we got to like get a handle on our finances. That was the most embarrassing week of our life. You say, what's the point of this parable? Three things. What's the point of this parable? Number one, you might need to change the way you use your money. You, like Danielle and I, might, you might need to change the way you think about and use money. About 18 months ago, we did a series at our church on finances called Broken, just trying to help people get out from underneath the stress of owing money to everyone. And the most powerful picture to come out of that series that people still talk to me about was the picture of how the world views and uses money versus how Christians view and use money. And here's here's what we put up for our people 18 months ago. Here's how the world uses money. On payday, payday comes. I have money in my bank account. I have money in my hand. Payday comes. What do I do? First thing I do is start spending it. Then I remember, oh, I've got some bills to pay. So I pay my bills. I repay any money that I have, that I have borrowed. Um, maybe they take out taxes. So right off the top, I'm paying taxes. If I have, if I have any left, most, most Americans only do those three things. If I have any left, I'll try to save, maybe retire one day. And if there's anything left after that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some to God. I'm going to give some to others. If I have any extra, if I have anything left, I'm going to give it away. That's how the world views and uses money. When they get paid, this is what they do. Here's how followers of Jesus use money. Just flip the chart upside down. That's all you got to do. The world views money one way. Followers of Jesus live upside down. We're totally backwards in the way that we see life compared to the world. What do we do? Our paycheck hits. The first thing we do is give to God and others. We give because we believe it's come with surplus. Then we save some. Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis teaches us the wisdom of saving for the future. And then we pay taxes because Jesus said, give give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then we budget and we make sure and pay all our bills and we pay off our debt if we've borrowed anything. And then if we have any left over that, we just spend it. We go out to eat. We go play golf. We go on vacation. We go shopping at the outlet malls. um, We we pay for our kids to go to preschool. Whatever, Whatever that is, we spend it. You may have to, after hearing this message, change the way you think about money. 
change the way you spend money. Because if you don't, you'll never get to point number two. What is the point of this parable? Jesus wants us to develop a generous mindset and a generosity legacy. Jesus wants us to develop a generous mindset, living for others, and a generosity legacy. You say, how do I start that? Because Christian, let me be honest with you. I never knew about the surplus. When $100 comes into me, I usually spend about 108. So not only, not only did no one tell me about the surplus I've already spent, I've actually spent a little bit more than that. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to pay that off. Like, am I just supposed to like sell everything and, and start over where I can live on 90%? Maybe. I mean, I, I would say probably not. But if God's speaking that to your heart, I know some people who have done that. They just wanted to get this area right, so they just started over. You say, if, if that's me, I always saw 100 as 100 and actually spent about 108. What, what do I do? Write these words down. Start small, but start now. Start small, but start now. Begin your generosity journey. Begin leaving a legacy. Start small, but start now. Climb what we called in the first year of our church, the generosity ladders. We started our church and we had a church full of people who were not followers of Jesus, who were brand new followers of Jesus. They saw a hundred as a hundred. It was a Benjamin and they were glad they had it. They didn't know anything. How do you work your way to that? Start small, but start now. Give, give for the first time. If you've never given, give. Just give what you can and ask God to see that sacrifice and reward you. If you've given for the first time, maybe you've progressed to an occasional giver. I give regularly, but only like what's left in my pocket. $5 here, a dollar here, $20 here. I had a good week, $100 here. You know, I, I kind of give regularly, but just kind of what's left over. It's at the very bottom of my spending habits. From there, the next big step that maybe many of you need to take is this percentage giving. This is the first time it begins to come off the top because you plan to give it before you have it. This is where a lot of people who say, I've always seen 100 as 100 and I've spent 108, they say, you know what, I'm gonna start at 3%. There's no way I could get to 10 right now. I'd lose my house, my car, my kids would have to you know, change schools. I, you know, I can't do that, but I, I'm gonna choose to take it off the top and I'm gonna give a percentage. And then eventually you work your way to tithing. I give 10% of my income. So do I, is it net? Is it gross? Whatever you want. This, the spiritual question with you is, will you give 10% of what's coming to your hands? I give off a gross. I have a lot of friends who give off a net, just in case you're wondering. And then from tithing, you can become a difference maker. You say, I, get, I give the surplus back to God because I never thought it was mine. If I need 90, God gives me 100. That 10 is his. However, from my 90, I want to give some of that to make a difference too. Like from the 90 that God has said, this is, this is yours. You can spend it however you want to spend it. I actually want to give some of that too. I had a man in the 8 a.m. service who came up to me and said, God spoke to my wife and I several years ago that before we die, we're supposed to give 90% and live on 10. We're up to 30. Pray for us. We're up to 30. Difference maker. Somebody who said, there's, there's even a stage above tithing. I want to give God some of mine. And if I can challenge you to really pray, I would challenge you, point number three, to give the surplus back to God and his work, the first, the first 10% of that tithe. Because the promise of scripture on your life financially comes in, in tithing, in that 10% range. You say, where is that? Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says this. Bring the whole tithe, all 10%, into the storehouse. Those were the storehouses of the temple, God's church in the Old Testament, that there may be, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to even store it. Now, studies tell us that less than 20% of Christians who are engaged in church give 10% back to God. So if you are one of those 20%, you should feel good today. You, for some reason, God has allowed you to have an incredible spiritual and financial journey at the same time. You need to like thank God that he has allowed you to enter that space of spiritual and financial blessing. The rest of you, I want to I challenge you to get there. You say, how do you do that? It has to be a heart thing. Remember, this parable is about money and what it says about our hearts. So the question today, what does tithing say about our hearts? I'm going to take the word tithe. I'm going to make it an acronym. And if you're in the room or if anyone is in the room and they tithe, you say, how could I ever get there? These five things have to happen in your heart. Number one, there has to be trust. The first T is trust. This parable in Luke chapter 12 is bracketed by extreme content. Before Jesus talks about money, he says you need to make every decision in light of eternity, especially the ones that cause you fear. And then he says, let me tell you how that refers to money. And then after that, he says this, anytime God asks you to do anything, do it and trust God to take care of you. That's the context of this parable in Luke chapter 12, 22 and 23. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples after he told them to be generous towards God. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life because you will. God wants me to give. I feel like I don't even have enough. What am I going to do? Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Money is not just to take care of yourself. God will take care of you if you will begin to be generous towards him. If people tithe, it's because they've learned to trust God. Letter I stands for intentional. If people tithe, it's because they have chosen to intentionally with their money be obedient spiritually. In the Activate podcast this week, Pastor Brandon asked me a great question. Pastor Christian, what if, what if people don't have a surplus? Where can you teach them to find surplus if they don't have it? I said, it's a great question. You never see surplus unless you see it off the top. Surplus is not what's left. Surplus is what comes first. In the Old Testament, the concept of this was called first fruits giving. Tithing is first fruits giving. I give off the top, not off the bottom. Here's what a first fruits gift is. It's giving the first part of what God has given you back to him as a testimony that you believe more is coming. Here is first fruits giving. I have an apple tree in my yard. I am an apple salesman. The very first apple that grows, that buds on that tree, I take that first apple and I give it to God because I say, God, if one has come, the rest are gonna come. So the first one goes to you, thank you. Now I'm gonna try to serve you with the rest of them too. That's first fruits giving. Every time I get paid, I believe that came from God, not my boss. And I believe that God can provide more. So I give the first 10% to him. The second T is test. You say, how do people tithe? They believe money is a test and they have begun to pass that test. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there can be food in my house. And then God says, test me, try me. People who tithe see money as a test. God is testing them, and then they get to test God back. It's a surplus mentality. I don't know if you know it, but Journey Church International has a surplus mentality. When we take the first 15% of what comes in and we send it back out, that's a surplus mentality. We've never sat in a budget meeting and said, if we have 15% left, give it away. It, it's, a, it's a bill that we pay right off the top. Do you know you can't be on our ministry staff if you don't tithe? You know you can't be an elder at our church if you don't tithe. You know if you can't, you can't serve on the finance team at our church if you don't tithe. Because if you have not passed that test, 
I'm not going to let somebody who won't trust God with their money trust God with your money. I'm not going to let you put your money in the offering plate and then have a group of men and women sit around and say, well, if there's any left, we'll give some to missions. If there's any left, we'll plant churches. If there's any left, we'll help our community. I have to know that people believe money is a test and they have passed that test before I can let them spend your money that you give at our church. The H stands for heart. How could anyone tithe? Because their heart has been engaged in their giving. Jesus has been teaching us all summer long. We hear with our hearts, not our ears. Today, he's teaching us we give with our hearts, not our hands. What Jesus is teaching us is that giving is much more about a faith transaction than a financial transaction. It's something we do in pursuit of God. And then letter E, we live expectant. We live expectant. We trust that this transaction has God watching over our life. In Malachi 3.10, God says, see if you do this, if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be enough room to store it. Hey, I don't know if you noticed it, but we met this guy today. God poured out so much blessing, he didn't have enough room to store it. I mean, this guy is a picture of Malachi 3. This guy probably as a, as a Jewish man knew Malachi 3. And he asked himself the question, I have more than I can store. What am I supposed to do? And instead of being generous with it, he said, I better, if I have more than I can store, I guess I need a bigger storage facility. And Jesus says, wrong answer. Wrong answer. It's not all about you. See, Malachi 3.10 says, give and you'll be blessed. What kind of blessing is is God going to give me money? Maybe not. I don't know of anyone in a third world country who tithes on the meager amount they make because they expect God to bless them financially. What's the blessing of tithing? That one day you're going to meet Jesus. And of all the areas in your life where he's going to say, you know, you didn't do a great job there. The blessing of tithing is in this area. He can look at you and say, well done. Like this may be the lowest spiritual hurdle that God sets for us. Because all you got to be able to do is do math. And Jesus is going to say, good job. Like your language could have been better. And the, you know, your marriage could have been better. Um, and your evangelism could have been better. But you're giving, good job. Like well done, good and faithful servant. You did the math. You trusted, you were intentional. Man, you, you tested me, you gave with your heart, you lived expectantly. Good job. Two goals today. See where you are in spiritual generosity. Take a step. Look at the generosity ladder one more time. A lot of people took pictures of it when I put it up in the last service so they could see it. Two goals today. Find out where you are. Take a step. I've gotten so many things wrong. There's so many areas where I'm not going to hear, good job. This is one, because I can do math, that I can attain to and hope one day to hear Jesus say, good job. You can do the same, but you have to trust. You have to live intentional. You got to test God. See, money is a test. You got to give with your heart. You got to live expectant. Let's pray that God will help us do that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room, God, we thank you for all that you've given us. Whether it feels like a little or it feels like a lot, teach us in faith to see the surplus, to give the first fruits to develop a heart and then a legacy of generosity as individuals and as a church. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here and God has shown you where you are and what your next step is, will you just thank him for speaking to your heart? 
I'm not even asking you to commit to take it. I'm just asking you, if God has shown you, here's where you are and here's what it would look like to move forward, would you just thank him for speaking to your heart? And, and then would you pray about committing to take a step and begin your generosity journey? Father God, teach us to trust, to be intentional, to pass the test, to give with our hearts, to live expectantly as individuals and as a congregation through what our giving is doing in the world. We love you. We need you. So help us. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen.